Welcome to episode nine of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey. Hey, so uh, so today's going to be an interesting show because we're really both overloaded with work and we haven't had any time to prep this, have we? No, I've, you know, and I felt bad because, uh, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to get these out, you know, whatever, a couple times a week. And uh, I just got so crushed with work that I just kept pushing it off. And it's been, I guess, about a week or, not, or so. But, you know, it's the holidays, so I guess we shouldn't put too much pressure on ourselves. So I think it's, it's our longest time uh, in between in between shows and you just asked me do i have any good topics <laughs> yeah do is, you I have just, any good topics? you know i haven't had a chance to do any prep so i'm just going through my uh the twitter stream of, of the links that i've been posting up over the last All right, few well, days. i wrote down a few things i i don't know we'll, we'll see i i was usually see so here's sort of my my um how i do things i I and I, I, I kind of keep my eye on Hacker News during the day because there's always an almost an infinite supply of interesting things on Hacker News. And so what I'll do is I'll just kind of save the links and I will um, at the end of the day, I'll go back and I'll print out whatever looks really interesting and I can just read it in bed at night because I can't stand sitting and reading a bunch of stuff in front of the computer because it sort of just burns me out. And it's uh, an interesting approach. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like because if I'm sitting at the computer, I feel like I should be being productive, right, or working. Yeah. And well, if you get... th- that's what you feel. I mean, I consider the computer and feel, you know, completely unproductive. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I mean, not that I haven't spent many, not that there aren't weeks or months of my life that are just, you know, fell down the browsing hole, or I just. Uh, How about gaming? I'm not a I'm not a big video gamer. I have a bunch of friends who are, but, but you were in the past, right? Ah, you know there were brief periods, and I you know I did it, but I don't do it basically because I I just don't have that much time, and I just you know I waste enough time as it is doing other stuff. Last thing I need is one more fun thing to to just suck around my suck up my time. So so anyway, let me just say so I I just discovered I just I found that if I do if I read stuff at the computer. I get tired and it kind of makes me feel like I'm working when I'm actually working. Okay. Right. So if I print them out at night and then I can just kind of, you know, lie in bed in the evening and, and read through three or five or eight or whatever, you know, blog posts or articles. And then, uh, but this week I just got so behind that I didn't get a chance to even print, print much stuff out. But, you know, that brings me to, I was thinking about this. I was like, you know how you, you, you said how you were um, posting your ideas your startup ideas yeah. on which I've been build, very neglectful software? of. It's um, the it's uh, startupidea.blogspot.com. Oh, for some reason I thought you were posting on uh, Joel and Software's forum or something. Oh no, uh, well, I started off there, but then I think that uh, it sort of seemed a bit nihilistic to just post them into someone else's forum. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. yeah. oh, that's good. Well, okay. Um, uh, well, then I gotta check that out. I gotta just get. I gotta add that to my RSS reader because I didn't even know where the hell. I, so I so I don't even know what ideas you're posting. So I gotta. I'll check that out. But so here are my two ideas that I've I've talked about with friends that I just. You know how they talk about like fixing. You know, you're solving your own problem or your own pain points or whatever. So here are things that I wish existed, and I don't know if they're they would be reasonable business ideas, but. You know, one thing I end up spending a lot of time doing is when printing these articles out. So if you print out five to ten articles every night, I mean, that takes a while. I sit there, it's like, you know, I come home at night, we put the kids to bed, and then it's like, my, you know, my wife is usually finishing getting dinner ready, and so I'll say, all right, I'm going to go in and print out some stuff. And then I spend like 20 minutes of my day just printing stuff out and, fire, you know, 
Google, Google Chrome, which is the browser I like for most things, yeah. you can't print selected text. It doesn't have that feature working yet. Okay. So, but since I'm using Chrome, I have to copy the links over to IE and then select text and print because you, know, you don't want to print all these sidebar and Google AdSense crap and you know, it'll end up being like a, 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 a quarter of a page blog or a three or like maybe a three paragraph blog end up being four pages. Well, I mean, a lot of sites use the um, CSS print, you know, so you, they specify print as a target for the CSS stuff. And the only thing they specify is the text inside. Have you just yeah, tried I, clicking print? I guess, well, I guess, well, no, I've, I've done that. And I've gotten, I've got screwed a number of times where it come out and like, I'll print something out and it'll be like 20 pages. Yeah. It's just garbage. I'm like, you just get all the comments. Yeah, comments. or, you know, you get all this, you know, just stuff. I was like, oh, sometimes I'll just print it into Notepad or something because I just want the dense text. I don't want to waste a bunch of paper yeah. and printer, you know, and, uh, and my wife <laughs> so is you just read So you just read text in Notepad. You print that out and read that in bed. Yeah, yeah I do. Well, you know, I just want the text. What a great sleeping eat. partner. Yeah, what's that? What a great sleeping partner. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, I got something to read. So, <laughs> okay, so here's the problem, though, is... You, so you can't. I guess you could do print preview. Maybe print preview will show you. But I guess I, I don't tend to do that as much. And it, regardless, it still takes time to print all this stuff out. Yeah. And what would be cool is if two things. One, you had something that aggregated the content and made it sort of printer ready, and without necessarily if you didn't want the comments or you just sometimes you know you have just pages and pages of comments and it's like I don't really. I'm not that interested. I don't want to read the discussion. I just want to read the main article. And other times, um, it's just a really long article. And I was like, you know, I wish I could just read the three paragraphs, the quality info, right? So this is kind of two ideas. One would be having a way that, that makes stuff print out. You, know, you could just drop all of your links into one thing, and it would just automatically kind of create a print queue and just print them all out into like one nice uh, – you know, list of list of uh, print jobs or something. Okay, so um, you highlight the text and you say send to print queue. Well, no, no, not like that. But it was like if you had a way that you could just have all of the URLs, like you could just like right click on the URL and there's some kind of uh, Firefox or some kind of, um, you know, add in that would just like click on it and it would automatically create a printer ready version of that as opposed to because a lot of, a lot of sites, if they don't if they haven't done the CSS, you're screwed. So you have to go through and manually do it. Right. Where's the Firefox plugin? Oh, <sighs> forgotten what it's called. So that's only like one. That's not actually like a great of idea or anything. It's just something that I just I notice I spend a lot of time doing and find irritating. But the other thing I thought would be kind of cool would yep. be so a site that would uh, s sort of create a synopsis of stories because a lot of times you read these articles or posts and it's like five pages and you're like you know what the the really the reason the the important information. The interesting information I could have gotten in two or three paragraphs. I read all this crap. That that's, was what I, that's what I love about Maholo.com. It, it does that. If you, oh, go, really? if you go to any search on Maholo.com, it's, it's not specifically about, you know, it's not, um, sh I guess, creating the short form of a specific web pages, but it's creating short form of any sort of topic. And they have mm -hmm. this thing called Fast Facts where they do maybe five bullet points. And, you know, whatever you, you search for on Maholo, if, if you get a result, you get these five bullet points. And it's just like false facts. I think yeah, that's, that's what you're talking about for websites. That's useful. That's very, that's cool. That's actually cool. But so what I was thinking of, see, I, I remember this was like years ago. I went to um, Cayman Islands for vacation and we stayed in this hotel and you didn't get, it was like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, I think. I can't remember what it was, but they, you, you didn't get actually the paper. You would get like a five page facts, faxed version of it, right? 
So the entire all news, you know, a synopsis of all the news in like you know three or five pages, uh, uh, faxed pages, right? But you really, you know, so these stories that would normally be three or four pages might be like two or three paragraphs. You're like, okay, I get it, you know. And unless it's something you're really interested in, you know, that's sometimes enough. And I wish there was like a website where almost like a Reddit or Dig where anybody could say submit a synopsis of a paragraph or two of a story, and like you'd get you know, kind of karma or credit for doing that. And so you just go to this website and it would have all of the big news stories or big blog posts on whether it was on CNN or Google News or Dig or Reddit. And it had the short version. So you could just say, all right, I want all this stuff. Not only that, I'm going to click, I'm going to select the 10 or 15 stories. You click, 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 click and print it all out. And it would print it out in one very concise, like three or four pages. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So you're sort of combining the two concepts. Yeah, and you're making a, like a, about. I guess it's like a digest. Yeah, like a digest. I mean, kind of because it's things that it's like, you know, what do I want to do? I mean, I, I want to read. There's a lot of stuff that I'd like to read that I want more than the headline, but I don't, I don't want to commit to reading eight pages of it. You yeah. know, it's like, ah, you know, because then I just can't get to this other stuff that I want to read. And, but yet, I want to know more than the headline. And I guess the saying is, I can't remember who said this, but there's a saying which I like, which is that you should know a little bit about everything and a lot about something. You know, I was, th- I was thinking of something very similar to this a few years ago, and I've got a domain registered for it called bulletwiki.com. And the Bullet. idea, because basically Wikipedia, what I hate about, what I love about Wikipedia is it's got the information. What I hate about it is you have to, you know, wade through reams of text and I was thinking, wouldn't it just be great if we could just have a wiki, uh, like something like Wikipedia, but the only thing people were allowed to put up was bullet points. So, <laughs> so it's just called wikibullet.com. Well, you know, some people would just get, see some people react very negatively. To this they're like, well, you know, listen, that's the problem with society today is everybody has a superficial knowledge and nobody invests time and really, you know, ge- developing any true understanding of anything. And so, it's kind of the I think it was the guy who wrote, um, I can't remember the name of the book. It was like a uh, visual display of information or something like that. It's one of those famous books. And he, w- he wrote this really scathing, uh, you know, essay on the problem with PowerPoint <laughs> dumbing us down. That, okay. You know, and, and it's not completely related. But, you know, you always hear people, uh, you, you hear this going around that you know, people get really upset about the web, how it's dumbing us down or how people aren't really doing the hardcore reading they used to be, and yet this is yet another thing that strips out the true depth of uh, 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 de- the depth of the content or the, 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 where you're going to get the real insight, and it just gives you these sort of bullet points. But where I would say it's like, okay, I can allocate X amount of hours or minutes a day to just doing reading, right, where I'm not actually doing work or whatever. And if... I only have a certain amount of time, and, I, and if I'm going to read an article, you know, I don't know about you, but I, feel, I don't like to read like a third of an article and just stop reading it if I feel like i got enough. I, this sort of obsessive-compulsive thing, if I, once I start reading it, I feel like I have to read it. You know? So you, you, you don't want to do that, and I don't like scanning stuff. I just would rather read it, but I just wish if, if, if somebody had gone through it already and said, listen, this is, this is all you need to know. And sometimes you can do that. Like if I'm on you know, Dig or Reddit or Hacker News or something, you can go to the comments and you can just say – you can get the gist in the, by way of people reacting to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that would be really cool. I don't have time to pursue it, but if, if – uh, and I don't even know if it would be a good business model, but I, I just – I could <laughs> You're see just saying that to, to the, uh, our audience members, and if, if anyone amongst you wants to create this new brilliant <laughs> idea that Jason has, yes, do it, and he'll be a, a willing beta tester. I would love it. I'd talk about it every week of this podcast, and you'd have, you'd have hundreds of users. 
<laughs> literally hundreds. Literally hundreds. <laughs> well, that brings us – well, in the, the idea – the name that I was thinking would be call it something like getgist.com or the gist.com. Get gist. I don't know if those domains are available. I think I'd look for them at some point. I don't know if they're How available. about gisty? But, Jesty or something like that. I mean, it would just be awesome if you could just think think about like a dig Reddit. You just go through and click, 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 click. I like that. That's interesting. And you could have like 25 stories and print it out and it'd be, end up being like four or five pages in total. And maybe you could click, say, I want the super short version or I want the short version. Like I literally want the five the lines. Jisty.com is available. Jisty? Yeah. That's perfect. I need to register that. Have somebody. What we should do is get some uh, kids to build it like uh, as a as a mentored project <laughs> like the like uh, this team. Yeah, you're right. Like biz team guys, they're they, we're in where are they again? I, I was gonna Bosnia. say Bosnia, Bosnia, but I know they're not in Ukraine. They get upset about that, so they're yeah. Bosnia. We should get some kids. <laughs> if there are any kids that want to be mentored and build a really cool, you know, or at least what I think would be a really cool project. This is so are you prepared to put money where your mouth is? You're gonna buy the domain name, Gisty. I will buy the domain name. Oh, it's already taken. Well, then why the hell are you? Uh, because because I tried to I tried I just tried typing it into the browser and thought that it might be there. But um, oh, well, you got to go to like I use domainer. Do you ever use domainer? Dot net's taken. Dot com's taken, but you could have a dot org or a dot me. Justy yeah, me. Lame. That's lame. Justy dot us. Four ninety nine. Yeah, I could maybe do us. Us is not as lame as me and. It, look, I mean, we've already found this out with texting. It doesn't actually matter what the bloody name or the domain is. At the end of the day, people know it's called texting. They type in texting to Google. It comes up top. They get there. Same deal with Gisty, same thing with Delicious. Like, I could never spell Delicious into the address book. <laughs> yeah, D E L dot I O dot C O dot. You know, it's like, what? It's like totally different. Listen, I totally screwed up when I said that the, the, um, the domain name of my own <laughs> startup ideas blog. It's not startupidea.blogspot.com, it's startupidea.wordpress.com. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> there you go, so. Well, what was it that you would always say at the at the intro to our podcast about people leaving comments somewhere? I just realized I have I, I totally like would zone out when you'd say that. Like I have no idea what you're even talking about. Oh, I always say if you want to comment on anything we've talked about in this episode, go to trim forward slash texting and then the number of the texting. And the reason being that so people can sort of hear that at the beginning of the episode and then if they wanna comment on it as they're listening, they can do that. Uh, yeah, okay. I just noticed how I would just zone out when you'd say that. I didn't even listen. I have no idea what you're saying. I was just oh, like, thanks. okay. That's really kind of you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Which my wife always gets really frustrated with me sometimes. We'll be sitting around and maybe we're watching a show or something and she'll make a comment about like, it'll be like commercial on or something. She'll make a comment and uh, my eyes will be you know, pointed at it and I'll go, what? And she'll be like, are you even watching? I go, uh, I think that's the bane of every wife's <laughs> life when their husband's on a computer looking at something and they're trying to get you to do something. No, I'm talking like we're literally <laughs> watching the same TV show. And oh, not, okay. Like, say we're eating some dinner, eating dinner or something we're watching and there might be a commercial and shit. There'll be some kind of... You know, so does your or... brain just wander? Yeah, I can totally... I can be staring <laughs> at you and not hearing a word that's coming out of your mouth and be totally in my own zone. And uh, of course, that drives my wife nuts. She's just like, That's "Come funny. on!" I haven't, noticed, I haven't noticed that. Maybe you just get to know that once you know you for a bit longer. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I was thinking one thing. I, um, you know, I brought up in terms of our hundreds of users. Yeah. I noticed that our last show, episode eight, with with um, Jonathan Ellis on the distributed database, dude, where's my database? Yeah. It's up over eight hundred downloads. Uh, that's pretty cool. It's eight seventeen last time I checked. It just keeps on going, and it pushed in the Peldy episode, Balsamic number four is up 750 or something, so it's still, it's still like 
it's like whenever you get a new episode, a certain number of people go back and listen to past episodes, and so they all kind of rise a certain amount. It's interesting, it's, isn't it? I mean, this is this is good, uh, you know, for anyone else who's interested in starting a podcast. That's the reason why we talk about this stuff. I mean, apart from the fact that we've decided we're not going to edit anything out. We're just going to talk about whatever comes into our head. But also, you know, if you're interested in starting a podcast, hopefully this kind of information can be useful to you. Yeah, you know, because we started and, like, we emailed everybody we knew. Who yeah. we, and knowing that, like, Of which no of... one listened to it. No one clicked the link. <laughs> yeah, you call your friend, like, hey, man, do this a podcast? Oh, yeah. Um, no, I will. <laughs> like, damn. You know, like, I... I think I think really, hardly anybody listened. I think weeks after the first episode, I finally had a few of my friends who actually are like developers, are doing startups, finally get around to listen to an episode. And uh, but it was fun. It was cool though, actually, though, because a few of them who did, they actually um, seemed to really enjoy it and and actually listened to all of them and kept gotten back to me and did. For some general- reason, my grandmother never listened to it. Yeah, I can't understand why. <laughs> But, you know, it's like that first week or two, it was only the first episode, it was like 50 downloads. We're like, oh. So, first. dude, what do you think about um, Google releasing an operating system? Yeah, I read about that. I don't oh, know. I mean, I'm I guess, really interested. That's in that. <laughs> oh, kind of ho-hum, right? It's just another Linux distribution. Yeah, so, yeah, because that's what the Ubuntu crowd is saying. They're saying, uh, whatever, you know, we've, we've got Ubuntu. We're, you know, we're polishing that up nice and proper. You know, Google Chrome, bleh, who needs it? I don't. I mean, I don't really get. I don't really get it. I, there was a really funny. Uh, I read a really funny um, article. It was like the fake Steve Jobs. Yeah. His reaction to it, and that's the first. I think it was the first article I've ever or post I've ever read by him. And he was actually really funny. <laughs> really. What was he saying? Well, I mean, he really tore into it. Just like it's so. Who cares? I mean, so it's going to be big on netbooks. He's like, so netbooks are like. You know, the, by 2010, it'd be 30 billion netbook, 30 million netbooks as opposed to. But he's like, that's nothing. It's like there's going to be like 400 million PCs, and you know, 10 times that number of, or some huge number of smartphones. And you know, he's like, it's just who cares about it? And there's, there's some interesting facts, like for example, that Google and Apple share board members, and basically, Google and Apple are going in similar directions on, on a number of uh, tangents. For example, you know, the smartphone tangent, mm-hmm. you know, and then if Google's in the OS market, you know, that just brings them a bit closer. And in, in one sense, they've got, peop- they've got basically shared board members, but they're getting increasingly more competitive. You know, I guess when they, these companies get big enough, they just keep reaching in all directions and inevitably they're going to compete on some, for, for, in some areas, I guess. I mean... It's, in terms it's, of the, in it's terms also of the, strange. Oh, sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting. But it's sort of strange that um, also, because Apple is so intertwined with Google as well, in the sense that you know, like a, a lot of really cool apps make use of Google's mapping functionality, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, I mean, it's in some. It's like a lot of these companies sometimes they'll compete in some areas and team up in other areas. I mean, I, I've definitely seen that happen before. I think we've seen that happen with Apple and, and Microsoft. You know. They go head to head in some areas, and other areas it's like you have to have you know Office on the Mac or whatever. But in in at one point Microsoft invested with like 500 million in Apple back, you know whatever 15 years ago or 12 yeah. years when they're really struggling, and at the same time they're competing. Well, you know why they did that? That's I think it's the, antitrust. Yeah, exactly. Just so that you know, just so that they had a competitor. Yeah. So see, we have a competitor. <laughs> you know, U.S. government. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, oh. By the way, we're funding them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just so happens that you know, they had Steve Jobs that joined the helm, and so I guess that, you know, 
it was a coup on their part because they probably needed to lose that money badly at the time. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, in, in terms of the Google OS thing, I'm, I'm not. That doesn't really interest me. It's just another Linux distribution. Um, whatever. Okay. If that's not interesting to you, have you heard of Scribble Notes on the Nintendo DS? The, what is it? Scribble Notes. Scribble Notes. Was that? S C R I B B L E N A U T S. Scribble Notes is very cool. It's basically a new game on the Nintendo DS. Um, I mean, this this is probably old news for gamers, but but I just thought it was particularly cool the concept. So as you, it's it's a platform game. As you're going along the game, uh, as soon as you encounter a problem or an issue, you write a word, and that thing appears. So for example, if you write ladder, okay, it, a ladder will appear. And and the thing about it is they've put millions of objects in the system, so it's very difficult to think of something that doesn't exist and interact with the world. So, you know, you can write literally anything, you know, glass of water, candle, ladder, whatever. Like, And you can really try and sidewind it, but it will still pop something onto the screen. Huh. And uh, it's just it's just very cool. What's the purpose? To give people fun. So if I draw, if I type in, if I, if I <laughs> say car, if I spell car, then it draws a car for me? It doesn't just draw. It gives you a fully a fully formed car that interacts with the game that you can then climb into and press left and right. Oh, and, I think we're like it shows you an image of a car. I'm no, like, no, no, no. And, and, and if you say, you know, if you say jetpack, it will give you a jetpack which you can put on your back. Oh, and what game is this that you? Is it like Second Life or something? No, Scribble Noughts. The game is called Scribble Noughts. So is, is it like a mini Second Life or something? You walk around in some virtual world? No, no, it's just like a, a platform game, like it's just a normal platform game, like like say Mario Brothers or something like that. Uh -huh. But the way that you get through the game is by writing words and procuring out of thin air various objects, any huh. noun, and um, it will just pop these things into the into the world, and you can use them. So you you know you may have to get over a wall, and there's no way of getting over the wall without something that can get you over it. Oh, such so as, you say ladder. You say ladder, or you elevator. say yeah, elevator, jetpack, whatever. Hmm. That's gonna go. What have you been playing this? Well, no, I, but I saw I saw a video of it on YouTube in action. So just just uh, type scribble notes into uh, into Google or YouTube and have a look at it. It's very very cool. Oh, that's cool. And it's just on the Nintendo DS. It's just a cute little game. Yeah, my my wife has been wanting the uh, a Wii. She wants uh -oh. to play some of the games for the kids. The, for herself. Oh, she <laughs> does. I think she wants to. I think I think there's some like exercise type games. You know, yeah. she, she she doesn't she's not big into going to the gym. We don't have a lot of time with three kids under the age of five. So, well, maybe and, maybe now's about time you could tell people about your your life hack with the gym, which is very clever. Oh, my life hack. Well, this is probably <laughs> interested to with people with kids or about to have kids or whatever. So, you know, one thing that happens is when people have kids, all of a sudden you have much less time. Uh, to yeah. do anything, and you're so used to having all this free time that, or at least comparably, you have so much less time that it kind of freaks people out. Like you know, you'll know people and have the first kid, and they'll be like, "You'll be like, hey man, I haven't seen you. What's going on?" It's like, oh yeah, I got a kid now. Da da da. You're like, <laughs> one kid. <laughs> so I got three. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't do anything anymore because you got one kid who's six months old. Anyway, what happens is that after every kid, you get more and more efficient about it, and. You know, one thing that I like to do is go to the gym. If I, at the end of the day, after you know writing code for eight or ten. Oh, I've lost you there. Hold on, let's see if I can get you back. Yeah. So at the end of every day, I, I'm just I have to go to the gym. Otherwise, I just my productivity just 
draw goes close to zero, I just feel terrible and okay. I feel burnout. So I go to the gym, but luckily the gym I go to has a really good um, like daycare that's like it's huge and has all this climbing equipment, tons of kids running around. So I take all three of my uh, my kids who are four and a half, three, and like 17 months with me and I, you know, check them in and then they are in and it costs me like six bucks for all three of them for two hours. And then I can go and play basketball or lift weights or swim or whatever. And meanwhile, my wife has, that gives her like, you know, considering the entire time we're gone, maybe two to two and a half hours that she can just do whatever she such wants. A good li- that's such a good life hack. When you told me at first, you said, oh, I'm just going to the gym with my kids. I was picturing it and I was thinking, how how is he doing that? How can you, how can you <laughs> work out I'm with those my, three little kids? I'm making my two-year-old do push-ups, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Push it! But just this idea. So it's like, you know, it's a win-win all round. Everyone wins. Like, there's five people winning there, basically. Yeah. Well, you, you, know, you get to work out. The three kids get to have the best time ever, and your wife gets time off. Yeah, well, you know, because my wife will walk in the in my office. So I work at home, and she'll walk into my office and, and around five o'clock, and she'll be like, "So, are you uh, going to go to the gym today?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Well," and she'll be like, "Okay, the kids will be ready in five minutes." I'm like, "I guess so." <laughs> She's like, <laughs> so, "You're going to the gym today?" <laughs> yeah, You're I mean, going. She, by the end of the day, with having three kids, she has just had it. I mean, she yeah. our kids are just extremely high energy, and they don't stop. And she's just at the end of her rope, and are on her last nerve. And so she can just hand them to me. And I just take them to the gym and they get to run around and be crazy. And then I can go and have fun and get to work out and wife. And so when I come home, the kids have burned off their energy at the end of the day, which is always huge, a big, important thing. And I feel like a you know, new person after having worked out. And then my wife's in a completely great mood because she's had some time to get stuff done and chill out and whatever. And I think when you have Excellent. kids, when you have kids, you really have to. You know, if you want to get things done, other than spend your whole life just working and bouncing kids on your knees, you have to figure out ways to like kill two or three birds with one stone. Well, thank you very much for for that life hack. That's it. So for for all you people who don't have kids, <laughs> sorry for sorry if the, about that story probably bored you to death. But when you uh, have kids, you're gonna want to you think about things like that. How can I how can I like you know make everybody happy and get a bunch of things done. But oh, speaking of like hacks, um, you yep. know, what I, was, I think I mentioned to you this, uh, mentioned this to you before, was about the the Everyman and the Uberman sleep schedule. Oh yeah, it, it was. I've written. Out, I think it was. I saw on the blog it was Dustin Curtis, and he's the guy who did that United Airlines redesign. Okay. Oh, okay. Designer. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of people might have heard of him or read it. You know, there's a bit. He he, he stories about that whole thing came up on Akron's a few times, and he was, I think he was interviewed even on. Um, so basically, he redesigned the airline uh, website off his no. own bat. Off his own yeah, bat. well, he just—it was American. It was American Airlines, right? It yeah. was American Airlines, and he just thought the user experience just sucked so bad. And being a designer, he said, "You know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to redesign how it should work." And he did it, and then just created it and posted it on the web, and it got a lot of attention. Even United Airlines user design people, um, user experience people, you know, sort of sent him and you know got in contact with him. The one guy who contacted and created sort of a mea culpa and um, <laughs> like, oh, you don't understand. We do our best and we have all these constraints and big companies, that's how they work. And he just was kind of like, bullshit, sucks. So you're, talk, you're going to talk about uh, what sleep hacking with him, is it? Yeah, so you know, I just happened to just check on a site because he's written a few interesting things. So I don't know how I happened to go there, but he he he's, it was called like a life hacking, a life hack or a sleep hack, and you know how you get more hours out of the day. And you know you can do things like I just suggested, which is killing two and three birds with one stone, which is always an easy way to you know get more done. But other thing is to do is to sleep less. But you don't want to sleep less if you're going to feel like crap and and your brain isn't going to work. So like 
at some point me sleeping four hours, five hours a night, if I'm just going to sit in front of the computer and not be able to think straight because I won't get anything done. Right. And I think most people are probably that way. I mean, some people need less sleep than others, but at the end of the day, you really have to get enough sleep in. And so, but there's something called polyphasic sleep. So polyphasic sleep. Yeah. I think just Googling it. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but monophasic is what we, most of us do, which is we sleep one, you know, solid block, you know, six or seven, eight hours and that's it. And then there's what he called the, the everyman one or the siesta, which is that you sleep like 6.2 hours and then you take like a, a nap in the afternoon. And that, and the whole, the whole point of it is the whole, the way it works is that when your body knows that you're not going to get a lot of sleep, you immediately enter a REM sleep mode so that even if you only sleep 20 minutes, it's like you got a full REM cycle. Oh. And I think he said something was like, you, you, you normally you get like four or five REM cycles, cycles a night at most. I, I can't remember what that number is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, but so a lot of the time, a lot of the time you're actually sleeping in that eight hour block, let's say is not productive sleep. It's not, it's not the kind of sleep that's really um, re- helping your body or mind recover. And so if, if you could just, if you could just whittle it down to just the REM cycles, it would be much more compact. And one way to do that is by breaking up to smaller uh, uh, sleeping um, uh, slots. Or, or so, for instance, he, the, the, other, the other issue about it is this: is that um, you know how like sometimes if you if you've ever pulled an all nighter or something, or you've hardly had any sleep, and the next day you might be sitting there and like your eyes will be open and you'll almost be dreaming. Yeah. Right. You're like, you start falling asleep with your eyes open and you're like, you're like, whoa, that was weird. Well, what's happening is you dream when you're in REMs, when you're in your REM cycle or your REM cycle. That's, that's when your dreaming happens. So your body is like almost immediately going into its REM, REM sleep mode. Right. So in what you can do, the way he's discussing another, he had some, another article that he linked to that I read a little bit about, um, some more of this, but what you can do is that you can break it up into two with their every man two, which you have like two 20 minute naps and you sleep like five and a half hours or you sleep four hours and you sleep three 20 minute naps and all the way down to like what he called the Uber man, which is like five, like 20 minute naps or six 20 minute naps. No, it's more than that. I mean, it, it ends up totaling like 2.8 hours total sleep. I know. It's amazing. No, I'm looking at it. Yeah, it, it's there's something on uh, Life Hacker as well. There's another thing on life hack. Just basically type into Google polyphasic sleep life hack and uh, you'll get a whole bunch of results. And there's some really good graphs about it as well. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a cool thing. It's like one of those things that you could try, but I, 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 unless you have a really tight control over your life, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't really have much interaction with the outside world and be able to pull it off. But you could probably do the two or maybe the three naps a day if, say, you worked at home and you, and you could really organize your day well. I can believe the thing that your body learns how to go directly into REM because, for example, many moons ago when I used to be fit, I I noticed that whenever I would work out, my body would just instantly get into that mode, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just sort of train it and then all of a sudden, you know, it's ready, it sort of starts sweating and the heart starts going really quickly. Whereas um, if I try and do that now, it does, you know, (laughs) I'm just going to fall over in a heap. Yeah, so I I don't know. I would be great. I, I I'd like to do more at least of the siesta, like sleep like six hours, six point two hours, and then do a twenty minute nap in the afternoon, as opposed to trying to sleep seven and a half. Because just that extra, just that amount cut off helps me, because I don't always get seven and a half, and I'm all wiped out, and I'm just not as productive. And we're getting ready. My wife is buying some bunk beds for our kids, and so we're moving a, a futon that's up in the loft where they sleep down to my office, so I can start doing that. 
So. Okay. So anyway, enough about my. Like, yeah. So if you've got any other interesting tech topics, let's try. We've done. We've now done two non-tech topics, haven't we? Yeah. So I don't know. Here's a couple of things I found. Did you you hear about the Yahoo query language Yequal or? Oh yeah. I, why, why? How do you pronounce it? What Yequal? I, I I would imagine probably Yequal, but maybe that's not right. But it's YQL, and essentially it's like they used to have like you just yeah it would create like a parsing. Um, sort of a, a, a intermediate layer between, so you could write this this Yikel, uh and it would um, allow you to read from various web services, published web services. But we now, call it equal. Okay, equal. Is that how they pronounce it? Equal. No, well, it's, it's, it's sequel. So how about equal? Okay, so we'll go with equal. Okay. And um, now they added the uh, insert, um, update, and delete. And so you, for instance, you could update your Twitter account by doing an, an insert statement using equal but what does it uh i guess writing I, I think you apparently they have like five different uh data center locations where yahoo does that you can write to so i guess what you do is you, there's one sort of simple platform to interact with lots of web services so you don't have to learn a bunch of apis they they sort of um interface with the apis and you just write equal to them Okay, so they're so they're sort of taking the concept of SQL mm -hmm. and equal abstraction abstracting it out and basically it's in terms of talking to APIs. Exactly. And it could be any API. So it's it's literally talking to different products. Right. That's the impression I got. So they got so now they have they added the, the update insert and delete. So the full crud of the you know, is you can do all this stuff. So so now you get to extend easy sequel to easy equal. <laughs> Huh. For PHP, easy equal. I don't so, know how useful that is or not. I mean, I guess if you're if you're if you have some kind of thing that's built as a mashup and you're interacting with lots of web services, then it would be. Simple. I guess it's. I mean, it's. It sounds like one of those things that is, like, very clever, and it's it's the kind of thing that in about three years' time, maybe four years' time, we'll see lots of great uses for it because people are slow to catch on to very clever, very new things. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one thing is is that it allows you to. Is apparently, what they're trying to do is make it a lot like SQL, so that people right. don't have a new learning curve. So, I mean, I, I don't know how similar it is. I haven't experimented with it, but you know, imagine if it's if you know SQL really well now, you could maybe write equal. <laughs> well, why don't they just make, you know, rather than spending time doing that, which is, you know, has a certain level of interest, why don't they hook their equal thing into uh, hash tables? To database hash tables. Oh, right. You like uh, Cassandra and yeah. stuff we're talking about? Because that, you know, that's where we really bloody need it. You know? Right. That's right. Well, like I said, I think this is I think that's a job for easy equal. Easy equal. <laughs> easy Okay, you've got anything else? That's that's it vaguely interesting. Vaguely interesting. I give that <laughs> like about a three on the one to ten of interest. Just okay. slightly above uh, you know, the life hacking. Um well, I don't know. I mean, um, Looking at my little my little list of stuff, I don't have a. I, I you know we were supposed to we we're supposed to have a ta uh, an interview with um, ta Todd Hoff from High Scalability. He sent me an article about sharding because I think you brought that up in our in our past yeah our previous podcast about sharding. So you know I guess the way Did you have I, a look at it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I read that article. Um, and, and um, I think what it was called, but um, find it here. It's, it's from my understanding of it, it's basically splitting up tables by rows and um, 
you know sequences really yeah so so you know you know that for this user you're talking to this this shard set right so this bunch it, of users the title of the article is an unorthodox an unorthodox approach to database design the coming of the shard so it sounds to me like sharding is kind of a half step that 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 developers can take when they need to scale and they don't want to buy some you know fifty thousand dollar you know database server <laughs> computer and they, they're like hey we can we want a bunch of cheap we want to use a bunch of cheap servers that we can afford and mm -hmm. sharding is one way to uh, to accomplish that using you know MySQL whatever database um, engine. I don't know I don't know about that because I mean. I wouldn't say, for example, MySpace was short of money, but they, you know, they've their entire system is sharded. I mean, I saw a really interesting um, video on YouTube by the CTO mm -hmm. of uh, of MySpace talking through a system, and it's very, very interesting. And you know, they they heavily use the concept of sharding and also the concept of job queuing. Okay, okay. So I, I didn't mean that that if you don't have money, I just say that's one way you can do it. I mean, if you have, you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to spend on IT, then, you know, you can do it either way. You can scale up or scale out, right? Scaling out to sharding, yeah. scaling up is just buying bigger and bigger database servers. I, I think that's yeah. how that works. And, you know, if you don't have that kind of money, then the only option you have is to scale out, and which is sharding seems to be the uh, common approach. I think Flickr did sharding too, didn't they? I mean, the fact is that the thing that I've learned over the years is that, well, you know, whatever it is you're doing in, in programming, when you break it up into a smaller unit, you simplify, you make it easier, you make it more scalable. And sharding is just another extension of that concept. It's just breaking it's breaking something into smaller units. Into yeah. smaller units because you can always deal with and manage a smaller unit. And I, I, I bet you any money that that's just the principle behind the um, Google distributed file system. Yeah, so I, here in the article, they talk about the advantages being high availability, faster queries, more write bandwidth, and you could do more work because things are in parallel. So it's kind of like you know how we use multiple servers or you know multi distributed programming or multi cores on a single computer. Now you have multiple databases, and what you have to do is you just have to keep track of okay, what data sets or what row sets are on which are on which instance or on which machines. So you have to have some way of sort of having sort of uh, an, an indexing or uh, of of that information. You know? Well, the problem obviously the problem is. Um, the things that I don't understand is how how you would talk cross shards. For example, let's say we had you know a bunch of users who were you know we were dealing with users uh, ID through you know a thousand through a hundred thousand, and then we, right. they were talk, they were talking and dealing with users you know a million through two million. Like yeah. how how do their comments all mingle together? <laughs> for example. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, because you know some of the things the, the the issues that he brings up are you know the problems with sharding are is the rebalancing of data, joining data from uh, multiple shards. Yeah, you know, how do exactly. You, you know, how do you partition your data into shards? And um, you know, it's just uh, it's you end up having to do a lot of sort of homegrown um, stuff. But I, it's you know like you're just gonna have to figure that stuff out on your own and based on how your application works. But I think I think. Like Cassandra, as a for instance, will probably end up being a better solution than sharding, and and be an accessible solution. You know, maybe three to five years, maybe not three years, maybe like five years, where people can, where people who aren't experts in using distributed data stores and can can sort of easily port or with minimal effort um, port SQL statements into um, into using a distributed database. I mean, maybe um, like Ruby on Rails, for instance, there'll be some gem which says, okay, you know, active record and all that stuff will now work and tie in directly with, say, Cassandra. 
as opposed to uh, with uh, one of your sequel. Data. When you think about it, it's sort of similar, and I think that um, he was saying this last last week. It's sort of similar to the concept of peer to peer. You know, it's like lots of fragmented bits of information. You know, and that enables it to scale. Hey, um, talking about peer to peer briefly, did you hear mm -hmm. about um, uh, the Pirate Bay's new business model? No, I mean, I mean, I saw I saw that topic pop up in Hacker News, but I didn't get to it. What's the deal? It's. Uh, do you remember? <clears throat> I think I'm going to take a little bit of credit for predicting this. Do you remember, uh, I think it was maybe two or three shows ago, I was saying, wouldn't it be cool if you could turn a peer-to-peer -peer network, something uh, like um, you know, the torrent network, and basically use that as another internet and get users to put, put themselves on that internet, and then they could like charge money for supplying some of their bandwidth to it? Well, that's what we were talking about with the whole Opera Unite or something, right? That is exactly what the the, the people who've bought Pirate Bay. That's exactly what they intend to do. They're gonna they they're basically gonna resell their users' bandwidth. Right. So one thing that we that we talked about in a previous um, podcast, I don't remember what episode it was, five or six or something, talked about yeah. Opera Unite, which I think it is, where it essentially allows people's uh, you know your instance of Opera of your Opera browser to be an actual web server. Yeah, and now a lot of people were were commenting on this. Art, uh, I think it was a Hacker News, or uh, you know, on some of these wherever the art, some of the articles were posted. A number <laughs> of people were saying things like, you know, look, it's ridiculous because people have no up, upstream bandwidth, and it's just kind of stupid. But I don't know. I mean, the same way that I guess BitTorrent works. I mean, if you have enough people doing it, I guess it'll work or can work for certain things. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, who, how much do they sell? for? I think it's something like seven, in excess of seven million dollars. And why did they buy Pirate Bay to do that? What is Pirate? But because Pirate Bay has the network of the the peer to peer network, basically. So all all the people are sort of hooking in via Pirate Bay Tracker. So Pirate Bay Tracker is an it's, it's a piece of software that people have installed, a free piece of software. Oh no 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 sorry no no it's just like part of the you know just a standard torrent system, like but but you need. You you need um, some central location to to indicate the beginning of the um, the torrents. I'm not I'm not completely familiar with the way torrents work, but I don't think that they work very well just with the the peer to peer aspect. You need something like um, you need something like uh, another website that sort of says when you begin. You know, here's here's a starting place for this torrent. And then it, it, it has a track. It sort of keeps knows a few few of the clients. And then once you're hooked up with the clients, then then you can sort of propagate through the network. Right, kind of like a you know, the DNS servers or something. Oh, uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to you know I don't want to say because I don't know specifically. So no, come on, I, I want you to say things that you don't know. <laughs> you want to say things that I haven't got a clue. About. I want you to be on, put on the spot so that people can comment on how much Justin doesn't know anything no. and it's talking <clears throat> hey did you get did you get my Skype you don't look at your Skypes do you uh, no I just ignore your Skypes <laughs> oh because I, I just know. sent I you one I you said do you have a huge frog in your throat please clear it oh I'm sorry <laughs> I'm just not paying attention <clears throat> when uh, when you're when you're Skyping yeah I we're know. talking I guess um so uh Oh, you threw me off. What were we talking about? Say what? Um, you threw me off. What were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about um, 
Um, oh, you talking about stuff you don't know anything about? Yeah, stuff that I don't know anything about, <laughs> basically. Well, no, uh, I, there's no, there's, uh, I mean, if if we didn't talk about stuff we didn't know anything about, we wouldn't have a show. That's true. <laughs> it's like, we talk about, you know, the small subset of things that we actually know a lot about, and there's all these things we know a little something about, but which we find interesting. Um, so, <sighs> I've got something. Okay. Most printers secretly add their serial number to everything they print. Yeah, I've heard about that like eight years ago or ten years ago. That's what's coming out. IBM or Xerox has been doing that. So you get it's kind of interesting, though. I mean, it's interesting that they do that, that they sort of secretly imprint it. <clears throat> How come that's never mentioned in cop shows like CSI? I don't know. I mean, it's like one of those things like, you know, how the NSA is listening on our, uh, on, you know, most phone traffic now or emails, I guess. <laughs> they can't listen on Skype, though, can they? Oh, I'm sure they could if, if they wanted to. I'm sure they could figure it out. It's but it's 256K like... encryption. Yeah. 256-bit. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know much about, you know, what what the NSA listens to or what they what their encryption, you know, breaking capabilities are. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I heard about I, – I think I heard about the uh, the serial number on printer paper from, like, the late 90s or something like that. And that's that's old news, I think. Where did you hear about that? Just so I just ran into it. I can't remember where. Maybe on Hacker News or Dig or something. Um, okay. Did you hear the yeah, Tom so Williams story? So don't write any like crazy letters and print them out and mail them to like the government. <laughs> yeah, because they'll totally <laughs> know. threatening letters because they'll find you. <laughs> I mean, it's the sort of thing you'd see on CSI, and you think, you, you know, like they they'd get this letter, they'd look up the serial number, then they then they'd look up. Yeah, okay, right. We know the manufacturer. Then they'd look up. Uh, which shop sold it, then they get the receipt, and they could actually track you to your house, right? Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing that they can really do, but you'd see it on CSI, and you think, no, that's a load of rubbish. But it is actually true. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. I mean, the government, you know, like CIA and FBI and all that stuff, I mean, I think they're, it, 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 they are both much more competent and much more incompetent than we imagine, <laughs> depending. You know, yeah. they're, they're buried in bureaucracy and... You know, it's just any big organization is just slow and kind of incompetent. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. But yet there are probably technologies and things that people are, are not aware of or most people aren't aware of that and things that they can do that, you know, because, you know, they a lot of money. They can hire, you know, smart people and figure stuff out. Yep. So um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk coding. You know, one um, one thing I did that was kind of cool this week, I had to, this one project I'm working on. I still can't talk about it, but probably will in a few weeks. Um, I needed to create a an Ajax, like a double slider. So you know how you have a slider and you have like your slider handle that you move back and forth, like a like on a Windows control, like a volume. Uh, a so volume are we say, oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. So a slider, yeah, I know what you mean. Like a volume control, for instance, would be a good example. Like, like for example, the iTunes Playhead. Sure, sure. Um, and I needed I needed an a, 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 something like that, an, an Ajax version of that. But I needed had to have two sliders because we're picking out a range, right? A low and a high in this range. Oh, like on Elance, where you can choose the amount of uh, money to show projects by. Oh, does Elance have that? That's yeah. Cool. So I didn't know that Kayak has something like that too. And I I looked at Kayak as sort of an example. Um, and uh, it was pretty cool. You know, it only took me a, I don't know probably a couple hours to get it working well, so that you know we yeah. clicked on. The- are the right handle, the, the, whichever the slider handles closest to your the pointer moves, and you know, the, you know all the things you want to work behaves correctly and, and integrate to the site. And, and I mean, in the end of the day, it probably took me most of the day to get it completely working, get you know everything completely integrated. But 
I was very cool. And, I, you know, it's like that's a fun thing about <laughs> JavaScript, though, is that you can you can just sort of do anything. I mean, you can create controls at a, at a thin air, just imagine control. And it's usually not that hard yeah. to get something working. You know, like, hey, did you test it across browser? Yeah, mm-hmm. it works on, well, at least it works on, I haven't tested on the Mac, but it'll work on Chrome and Firefox and Safari and IE, on, at least on my machine. You know, I'll do, I'll do a little more testing. But That sounds really good. I, I've been running into some very strange issues with uh, cross-browser stuff because I've moved past the mock-up phase and now I'm in the HTML, CSS creation phase. Mm-hmm. And you know the thing that, that just gets me, and I don't understand why it's so hard, right, is to vertically align words to radio buttons. Like, yeah. it's just different in, in every browser. Like, yeah. ra- browsers randomly put padding and margins on the radio buttons and change it. And, you know, I mean, I found um, some interesting answers. And, and basically, it's the, the main concept is to, uh, with CSS, to vertically align to the middle the radio button. So, in other words, you attach that to a style of a radio button. Mm-hmm. And then to anything else. So, say, for example, you have some text along the line. You wrap that up in a span. And then you vertically align that. But even that doesn't work cross browser. <laughs> you still got to do hacks like, you know, do minus two pixels up the top margin under certain browsers. And I can't actually get it to work on every browser. I've got because there's no hack yet to specifically target Firefox 3 or Chrome. At the moment, there's a hack that gets both of them. Right or none of them. Yeah, I actually was doing the same thing about a week or week and a half ago, which was was it was text box. I mean, check boxes, the same yeah. thing really. And I just kind of gave up. I said, whatever, it's close enough. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't. They're always misaligned by a pixel or two, and I don't know. It's, you know, I would I would probably worry about it like the, if, when you get to the pixel pushing stage where you're like really focusing in on the details. But it you're right, it's those exasperating things that you can just spend hours on, and it just. Ugh. So annoying. Um, I'll send you that code. I'll send you that code because it basically because you know what does it perfectly is tables. You know, if you just put it in a table, you put the radio button in one cell, you put the text in another, and then it's just fine. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about this a little bit before in the CSS nightmares. Yeah. Right? I still use tables a lot of time for my um, page yeah. layout because I'll I'll end up scrolling around for hours and hours trying to get the CSS to work with, and yeah. it just never. I can't. It just have the hardest time getting things to do. What it's supposed to do in all circumstances where tables just always work, and you're just like, God, I know the semantic police are going to come by my house and knock the door down. <laughs> Be like, that is not. But yeah, but I mean, as correct, I think, semantically it, correct. It's fine on the kind of sites that you build because they are very JavaScript. They're they're very AJAX heavy. But I think that if it's yeah. if it's a site where it's serving page by page, then I think it's an issue. You know, if it's just more PHP driven. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is that the way I look at it is that I'm. When you're doing a, an early version of something, just get it up and get it working, and then it's 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 kind of it's another it's another form of optimization. So it's premature yeah. optimization. If you're trying to get your first version of your site up and you spend four hours screwing around, you know, and researching web trying to get the CSS to the right CSS to get this layout to work on all browsers, when you could have done it in 15 minutes using tables. And because you might find out a week later that you're not even going to use that design anyway, that that's not how you're going to structure it. Yeah. Right. So it's just a, it's just a waste of time. And um, so I, I just do now I've just I've do that more and more where I just say, screw it. I'm not going to hold myself to some high CSS standard on the early version. It could come back version two, version three, whatever, come back and replace the tables and spend the time getting the CSS to be, you know, perfectly validated, semantically correct. But, you know, it's still well, good, premature. Good news is that since March, I has lost 11.4 percent 
of market share to final. Damn. That's amazing. No, wait a minute. Now, does that... I thought oh, it was sorry, to Firefox, that... Safari, and Chrome. Sorry, sorry. But to, that, to... no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Let me make sure. But now, does that include? Because I remember reading that article too, and I can't remember. But they said some percentage of it included IE8. Now, was it IE6 and 7 losing to IE8 and uh, Safari? Because it's sort of oh, the yeah, right. IE8. I'm looking at the article now. Let me just Skype it to you. Well, go ahead. You just just. Check it out. Um, I can't. I can't see from looking. No, no. It says i6 plus i7 plus i8. In yeah. aggregate, they lost 11% since March to Safari, yeah. Chrome, and Firefox. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a big deal, isn't it? I oh, mean, God. it's it's problem is though, it's still going to be forever before you could ignore IE. You know, well, how about not... IE6? God, I'd love to just stop worrying about IE6. I mean, what is it? Still has like six percent or ten percent or. Something. Like for example, I was making an in, an inline HTML pop-up, right? And of course, it worked fine across all of the browsers until I looked at IE6, and then the selects go in front of it, don't they? Because in IE6, there's nothing that selects. There's nothing that can go in front of a select other than an iframe. Hmm. Did you know that? Explain that to me again. I don't quite understand what you mean. So basically, if you if you create a div and you give it a, an absolute position, you give it a Z index of say ten thousand. Okay. If you if you put that if you give that div a background of black or white or whatever, and you put it in front of a, a form select, you know, like a select. Okay. Uh huh. The select will be in, will go in front of it. Just oh yeah, random, yeah. <clears throat> It's just going to randomly hang in midair in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Now that was also true on um uh, I think it was even on Firefox or on uh, on the Mac. At least an earlier version of it, <clears throat> and Safari too. I remember I had that problem. So and the we, hack that, that oh sorry, go on you go. Well, yeah, the hack is to put it is put an invisible iframe. So for instance, if you want to pop up Yuck. like a dialog box or something that's a div, then what you do, what I would do is I would create an invisible iframe, and Yuck. I would shove that sort of it behind, make it the same size, and put it right under the um, the dialog frame. Okay, I've got a better hack. Because I don't like that. Because then you've got to start writing into that iframe. No, no, no. I, the iframe just sits underneath it. It is in the iframe. It just sits underneath it. So the iframe sits underneath it, and then it, that by default hides the select. Yeah, hides everything. Right. So, so let's say that you have a form, and let's say you will pop up like, let's say you're popping up like a, a date selector or something. And it's like a big, maybe pops up a big calendar, and you're like, okay. Yeah. But you have all these controls, like select statements, and those things are, you know, draw and it's sticking through, which is like hell. So what you do, right? You stick your invisible iframe right behind it, and you make it the same size. So what I do is in uh, in my sort of JavaScript libraries, I have like one invisible iframe that I tend to just reuse and hide and reuse for anything that gets popped up or pop over, or whatever you want to call it. That's interesting because what I did was. I mean, given that what I'm creating is something like a thick box anyway, and it's mm -hmm. it's a, it's just a pop-up system, like a modal pop-up system, it always grays out everything in the background. All I did was on Firefox, sorry, on IE6, I just basically, you know, every select and uh, it just sort of, you know, sets the property uh, display equal to none. <laughs> so it just it just turns them off while the well, that pop-up's open, and then as soon as the pop-up's closed, it turns them on again. Well, you know, and you I can't think notice it, the difference. Well, unless you're only covering half of it. In which case, you see these things kind of moving around in the background. Oh yeah, okay. which I tried because I I tried that before too, and I and then I saw this weird behavior where we could see it kind of move, and you're like, what the hell, you know? So if you're dragging this, if you have a dialog box that moves and it doesn't cover the entire form, and then you see like it only covers like five percent of the 
or ha or ten percent of the the select control, and then the whole thing just disappears. It looks kind of weird. Hey, can you send me uh, a bit of code about this? No, this is all proprietary. Oh come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll uh, just send I'll... me a little bit, a little bit of a you know, it's just a real simple yeah, yeah, code yeah, about setting up the um, invisible iframe. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'll send. I you know, I mean, we can put a link to it. Uh, you know, the now that I don't do show notes, I can at least put a link to the. Maybe we'll put some code up and link it if anyone cares. Anyway, well, you know, one thing I wanted to say. Speaking of um, JavaScript libraries, I mean, JavaScript. There, yep. I get, there's a new. I think it's the is it the BBC released in a library called Glow, the Glow JavaScript library. Right. Have you heard like uh, what's no, it? I've heard it, of it. Yeah, the B, the BBC has their own. I guess that they're on their web. You know, web people whoever does their website and all their stuff. They they have their library called Glow, which, you know, kind of like jQuery DOM manipulation, event handling, animations, widgets. You know, whatever, and you know it's cool. I was looking at it a little bit. I didn't get a chance to look at it too much, but you know, it looked kind of similar to some stuff I had done. And it's kind of the question: It's like, you know, is it worth doing another JavaScript library? Like, are they done? I mean, is 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 jQuery and Yahoo sort of like as good as it's going to get? Like, no one needs to worry about it, or is it kind of thing? Because you know, sometimes it almost seems like if you do one, people, you know, the, the reaction on the web is going to be like, yeah, you know. Why are you doing this? It's already a good one. Already exists. Yes, yeah, the same. The same is true of um, <clears throat> framework. But then again, I mean, you could have said the same thing about scripting languages. You know, after PHP, and right. then you know, out comes quite a few good ones. Right. You know, I mean, I, I, I guess you you're always if you come up with a framework, if you release a framework, there's always going to be a certain number of people who are going to look at you as like like you're forking, you know, like you're forking a, a code base or something. Yeah. You know? It's like, you know, do we really want another Linux distribution? Or do we really want another, uh, you know, web, you know, framework like Rails or something? I mean, can't everybody just work on Rails or whatever? I mean, I think one of the reasons that Rails succeeds is for Ruby. There's really nothing that competes with it. Whereas, like on Python, I guess there's, you know, multiple frameworks, and on, you know, um, PHP, there's multiple frameworks that people use. Right. And in JavaScript, it seems like it's sort of consolidating around jQuery seems to be the big leader, or at least that's getting the the most that has the most street cred, the kind of cool factor if you're using jQuery. But there's Yahoo and um, and I guess it's because jQuery introduced the chaining concept. Um, I mean, I don't know whether they were the first library to introduce it, but they certainly were the library that evangelized it um, the best. Yeah, like they don't. There's almost seems like a, a whole different way of of, of using JavaScript. Yeah, right? it is. It's it's much more like. Um, have you ever used XPath? I have not. So it's you know XPath is like this. I mean, it's it's sort of much more DOM oriented. You know, it's like. Uh, you query the DOM and you match, you know, whatever um, it it matches as it passes through the DOM. Right. Acts on it kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, so I... Yeah, so I guess jQuery seems to have gotten it. You know, it, it, like at first it just seems like kind of this strange project on the side because it was so different. Then like you had Prototype yep. and Scriptaculous for effects and, and then um, I'm trying to remember what the other one, there, were, there really wasn't much. And... Uh, and then uh, jQuery came out, but jQuery sees it seems to be people. It seems to have its own center of gravity. It just seems that people are more and more building on top of it or extending it. It's becoming kind of like the Ruby of Ra Ruby on Rails of of JavaScript framework. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a very good way of putting it. You know, because you get so much 
out the box. I mean, it is a, it is like a proper, fully fledged framework. Yeah, but um, you know, so I saw this glow thing come up, and I'm like, you know, why? You know, I wonder why they decided to do that. You know, why they just started. I mean, maybe maybe it's because they have so much of their stuff already built on top of their own proprietary uh, framework, and they're like, look, if we make this public and make it open source, then it'll force us to sort of you know, complete it and we get, it'll be in people outside of uh, BBC will actually be put time into making it better. Yeah, um, that's maybe, probably what the answer was. Maybe they felt like that was easier to do that than it was to sort of retrofit the whole thing on top of, say, jQuery or something. Yeah. You know, which is just interesting. So, you know, because I got, like I've mentioned in the previous podcasts how, you know, I built my own framework and now so much, so many of, I have so many projects and stuff based on my own framework, which I know so well that I'm sort of, hesitant to say, ah, what, you know, I don't want to start using jQuery because now it has this sort of momentum behind it. It means, you know, what does that mean in terms of time? And You might potentially be screwing over your clients, though, because, <clears throat> you know, locking into your framework, which isn't documented, is, you know, potentially difficult if you want to hand it over to other developers. Yeah, well, okay, let me put it this way. Um, the only The only clients that I've used extensive JavaScript for is only one. And everything is really like um really custom in the sense that it's it's not like I mean I, I know jQuery you can do a lot of things, but there's sort of jQuery where you take a page and it allows you to traverse things and do all kinds of make traverse the DOM and and, and make things move around and change color and uh, you know you can do all kind of stuff. But if you're building say like you know um a, a rich web client like everything is ajax you know jquery is going to be enough probably right you're gonna to have to go way beyond jquery uh i mean you can I build on top I don't of it i think so i don't think so no i think i think jquery is definitely enough yeah to do to do a very rich web client you just um i mean it it it, it has a plug-in system um so it it's layers i mean even the image of jquery is is that um you know the logo it's that like it's a disk stacked on another disk stacked on another disk. Mm. That that is exactly the way to think about jQuery. So yeah. you you know you just layer on top of other layers, and you could yeah you can build completely, you know, very complex applications with it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I should probably maybe should spend some time and and uh, you know take a look at it and see see how what it would take to sort of you know use jQuery as a base instead of my the stuff that I have. Um, Problem well, is, I'm, I know how to use my stuff so well. Like for instance, and I was telling you, I could, I created this, you know, two hand, two handled slider, right? I mean, I yeah. could do that. I was able to do that in no time because I built all of my widgets from scratch, right? It wasn't like I was dependent. Like if you if you spent all your time using other people's libraries, you may not know the 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 real issues down to the Chrome so well that you could just build your widget from scratch. You're so dependent on other stuff that you don't really understand it that well. Well, you from like. You'd probably find if you started using something like jQuery, you you would probably know, you're like you'd know what to look for in their function, and um, you'd probably very quickly be able to see how to make it, how to bend it to do what you needed to do because you've created frameworks, and that's why I think it's such a good idea that people do go through a phase of creating their own frameworks and not relying on other people's, and creating their own libraries and not relying on other people's. At least have a phase of doing that so that you can get you know more well grounded i think it's the equivalent of like a mechanic taking apart lots of engines and then putting them together again like they don't necessarily need to do it but if they do it it's gonna it's gonna help them out a lot so um <clears throat> i think we've uh, you know we've put in some good time on this show 
And yeah. this this is a bit like a watershed show in many cases because if you think about it, if people are going to listen to us after this show, then we've got real real listeners because we 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 were totally unprepped, and we're totally overloaded with work, and we're just like snipping in an hour to get this out the way, you know, to get this done. Yeah, well, we'll we'll try and you know mix it up, and you know, like I said, every other show we're going to try and interview somebody uh, doing doing something interesting or who's an expert on some technology, and uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, we're going to have I think Todd Hoff might be the next person we have on to talk about high scalability scalability issues. Okay, I've got one one story just to finish up with. Um, mm-hmm. it, I thought it was really interesting and inspiring. It's a guy called Tom Williams who was hired by Apple at fourteen. Yeah, and, I read that last night. I was actually thinking of bringing that up, but I just kind of forgot. So I'll just give the link for people to have a look at. It's sivers.org, S-I-V-E-R-S.org, forward slash Tom hyphen Williams. And it's just such an interesting story because this guy, uh, he's he's like, he's on the phone to them since, you know, from the age of 14, he's on the phone to them every day and he's saying, look, can I speak to Steve? Can I speak to Steve? Can I speak to Steve? And every day he calls up and they say, no, 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 no. But like after a couple of months, they start, you know, they start to say, oh, how are you doing? Nice to speak to you today. They still don't let him speak. They still don't pass him on, but he builds up a relationship with them. And then he just keeps it going. And he's so persistent that ultimately he ended up getting a job at 14. Yeah, you know, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, it was it was Scully, right? Scully was the... Um, that was it. Yeah, sorry, Scully. I said it was Scully was the CEO. And he eventually... You know, got in and, you know, Power 14. It was interesting. It was, I mean, a lot of it was just about being, a lot of it was persistence, but I mean, his whole thing was be likable, yep. right? Like, like, be likable, be friendly, be enthusiastic, you know, know what you're talking about, you know, do some work and know what you're talking about so that you have something interesting to say about, about things. And, um, you know, when you, if you, if you're likable and you know things, there are going to be people around you who, who are going to support you and be like, hey, this guy's, and they did a fourteen-year-old kid said, "Hey, this guy, this kid knows some stuff. We like him. <laughs> we'll hire him." You know, and if, if you can be hired, if someone fourteen can get hired by Apple, you know, it's it's kind of like it's hard to bitch about the economy and stuff. And you're an adult and you know how to, you know, build stuff, do things. You I know? mean, it's also an excellent example of uh, cross-pollination PR because basically this whole story has come out because, I mean, this is my guess, right? Tom Williams has put this story out himself he's written it he's contacted Derek Sivers he's put it on this blog and then at the bottom there's a YouTube video linking to you know Tom Williams most recent project which is givemeaning.com and you know it's just an excellent sort of cross-pollination PR stunt I think right yeah it was pretty it was uh, it was cool he uh interesting article it was pretty long that Dan Sivers is the guy who who uh, had it on his blog I mean he's someone I was thinking we, we should talk to he did CD Baby and He's done a lot of cool stuff. He keeps writing a lot of very insightful posts about startups and the whole technology of it. I mean, he would be, you know, yeah, be interesting to have on. So that's so we'll have to see. I got a whole list of people. I need to just email some more people. We need to get this guy. I think from Thirty Seven Signals. If anybody knows who I'm talking about, what's his name? Ah, I I, I forgot his name. In Thirty Seven Signals, they took. They used to have a list of all the people who work there. And I can't find it on their site anymore. Okay. Can you find it? Nope. Whatever. I think it's Dan Kemper. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if anybody knows him. Tell him to return my email. <laughs> tell him to be on the show. Want to ask him about what Thirty Seven Signals is like on the inside from, you know, low profile person. What what the whole what how how the Ruby on Rails project's going? It'd be interesting to hear that. Yep. 
But, um, okay, so that's it. So we're going to end this thing? I think so. Okay, sounds good. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. Welcome to episode nine of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Jason Roberts? <laughs> oh, <dope. laughs> nice.